Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Thriving Thoughts, and I'm your host, Dr. Sherry. It's so great to have all of you who follow, listen, share, like, subscribe, and write us amazing reviews. I'm blown away by some of the reviews, so thank you for that. Hey, listen, the music that you're listening to in the background is by my friend Derek Kuretzer. You can check him out through the links in the show notes. So my guest today, Katie Jordan had an aha moment when somebody asked her if she was happy. And her answer kind of struck a chord in her and caused her to evaluate and change her life. Her answer was this, well, I'm not unhappy. Y'all are going to love my conversation with Katie. We talk about all things like motherhood and work and friendships and womanhood and being in relationships and achieving and politics, y'all. Yeah, I know. It's like a taboo subject, right? We're not supposed to talk about it. Well, Katie was in that world for several years, that cutthroat world, and she has some serious insights to offer us into what happens in the mind of a woman who desires nothing but achievement to check off the boxes and to ultimately be happy. But she had to be confronted with what that looked like for her. So hey, friends, lean in, enjoy my conversation, be encouraged with my friend, Katie Jordan. Good morning, Katie Jordan. Thank you for joining me for the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm so excited to chat with you too. Hey, I'm curious. I'm looking at your, I guess you're in your office right now. Yes. Oh, it's, it's, so what is that? A lot happening. There is a lot happening and I love that about you. Um, what is the, uh, there's like a pink square with a circle. What does that say? It says think pink. Okay. And having been involved in a lot of women's activities over the years, it's actually a sign uh-huh. from Victoria's Secret from a store uh-huh. that closed down. Okay. But we talk a lot about being in the pink bubble. Okay. And that's basically being in a positive environment, sort of surrounding yourself with people who elevate you. Oh, um, yeah. So several of the organizations I've been part of, their color has been pink. And so it just sort of reminds me to stay in I that love mindset. That. Yeah. And I love the fact that like, to me, pink is both, um, it's both pretty and power. Like it's yes. all of that wrapped up into one. So I cannot wait to dive in because I like, I I can already sense that you have so much to offer the women listening and that you have clearly had a heart for women. You and I um, met through a um, group that you invited me to speak at, which thank you for doing that. That was uh, really powerful for me to share with the women there. And I think that was um, Polka Dot Powerhouse. So that's how you and I connected. And you are the president of the Winchester chapter? Managing director is official title. Okay. Because it's an international women's organization, and there are chapters throughout North America. Okay. And so I run two of the chapters in Virginia. In oh, which other one do you run? And Woodbridge. Oh, wow. Okay. And so you guys meet like once a month or so? We meet a couple times a month for sometimes dinner, sometimes lunch. Yeah. And we bring together women Traditionally, it's business women, but we actually have a lot of women who are involved in nonprofits or just women who want to be surrounded by others who uplift them. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise is that when you get together with women and connect on both a personal and professional level, you can create stronger business relationships sure. with them. But we create a lot of friendships. Yeah. And well. I, I loved that. I loved the dynamics of the group and just um, how the women shared personal details about themselves. There was a lot of talk about kids and spouses and dogs and just life events and stuff like that. So that was that was really it was it was a genuine group. So thanks for having me as a part of that. Yeah, I appreciate you being there and sharing your wisdom. Yeah. So tell me, have you always been involved with um, efforts to uplift and connect women? Well, when I was in college, a friend of mine joined Mary Kay, Uh and it was really not something on my radar. I actually didn't know about Mary Kay, which is weird because it's been around since the 60s, which is well before. Has it really? Yeah. I didn't realize it's been around that long. Wow. And she invited me to come to these events over and over and over again. And finally, I went, and it was all about uplifting women and figuring out kind of how to encourage each other and praise each other to success. 
Yeah. And it wasn't so much a competition as it was just encouraging others. And she wanted me to do it with her. And I ended up joining back then. That It really wasn't my intention to turn it into a career, although 13 years later, I'm still in Mary Kay. Okay. Um, I really just did it to be around these women. Yeah. And it sort of sustained me through many career changes and um, having these women that sort of have your back all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, what- you know what, Katie, can you t- touch on that just a second? Because um, I think that there are, you know, just in my own experience, there's a lot of women who, you know, I've learned who to surround myself, the women to surround myself with that will have my back. And and I also know there's a lot of women who feel like they've just never been able to find that. That, um, I, In fact, I was just talking with somebody the other day that was betrayed by her best friend in a big, 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 big way. Oh, and, yeah. um, and that just leaves us, can leave us, if we're not careful, I guess, feeling bitter and resentful and kind of shutting ourselves down to those opportunities. So can you speak to those women a little bit? Sure. I mean, and for background, my educational and professional background was in politics. I had always Hmm. wanted to be in the political world growing up in the suburbs of DC and um, watching the West Wing and all that. And that's what I, I did. I mean, I worked right out of college for a presidential candidate who happened to be a senator at the time. And okay. Um, through college, wow. I had internships at the White House and the House and the British Parliament. And, oh, my goodness. And I loved that. But what I realized very quickly is that that world is also very cutthroat. And uh-huh. people I'll oftentimes are idealistic when they enter in and don't realize that some of the reality is that there's a scarcity mentality and there's only so many jobs and so many availabilities out there. So if Hmm. I can hold you back, then I can get ahead. And it's Uh, not a healthy environment sometimes. Wow, sure. And so I sort of had stuck around with these women I had met in Mary Kay, recognizing that if I could surround myself with people who thought about elevating each other, Mm-hmm. instead of tearing you down, that I could plug into that whenever I needed it in my professional life. Okay. And so you found another outlet for that. Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure that it's available in many ways, but it's hard because at some point you have to grow, right? You have to choose to grow in your life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are unhappy that you've made that choice. Yeah. They, so true. They feel like you're leaving them behind, mm-hmm. or it highlights that they have chosen not to push forward. Right. And so, um, have you ever heard the analogy with blue crabs? How you can no. actually steam blue crabs without the lid on the pot? Because if you pour all of these uh, living crabs into the okay. giant pot, some of them will try to escape. But they won't escape because the ones at the bottom will see the ones who are reaching out and they will grab them and pull them back down into the pot. No and way. they'll say, too bad, you're staying with us. Oh, is that legit? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. and That's, that's men- cutthroat. <laughs> and that's a mentality that a lot of people have. They may not recognize that sure. that's what they're doing. But oftentimes when you're striving for something bigger, the people around you will end up saying, snide remarks or they'll yes they'll say things to kind of cut you down in order to keep you in the place that you're at and keep yeah you well in discom- your it world. creates discomfort like when you're basically stirring the pot when you're changing you're changing up the game and sure. so it creates discomfort and when there's discomfort people just that's our makeup we don't like that we like to come back to the equilibrium right yeah and so sometimes it's hard to find the people who genuinely want you to push forward. And so sometimes you have to jump groups and that's not to say just ditch people um, (laughs) you were with before. Sure. 
but when you find people who want to help you elevate yourself and they want to bring you with them when they are reaching for higher ground, then you know you've really found a good group. Yeah. I've always been taught that you're the average of the five people you hang around most. So mm-hmm. if you're the smartest in your group or the wealthiest or whatever, then you're in the wrong group because you're you not going to grow. Right. right. You need to have people right. who are going to continue to push you higher. Yeah. So how did you handle being in the cutthroat world of politics? I mean, I know that you're saying that for yourself, you also found another outlet. You kind of didn't necessarily jump groups, but you, you know, got two different cars at the same time. Um, So how did you navigate that? I think that a lot of it is recognizing what's happening because sometimes people take everything personally Mm -hmm. and, most things are not personal. Most things are not. That's right. You know, most times people aren't necessarily thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves at the time. And politics is an interesting beast in general. Um, I found that there were different offices. Sometimes it was all about who you knew. And sometimes it was about what you knew and sort of had to figure out what lane you were in Mm -hmm. on there. Um, but I recognized very quickly that I could really only compete with myself mm-hmm. in order to have an accurate comparison. Because if I was okay. in an office that was based on who I knew, mm-hmm. I couldn't really change who I knew. Sure. Right. And so I would get very frustrated if I'm just trying to say, well, so-and-so leapt ahead mm-hmm. because her dad is somebody. So-and-so, right? right? Um, I have no control over that. And that's yeah. pretty crippling if you're basing your worth on something that you can't control. Beautiful, beautiful truth. Yes. Can, do not base your worth on something you can't control, which by and large is other people's behavior, decisions, actions, thoughts, words, whatever. Right. And that's where we end up evaluating our worth from. Thank you. That's beautiful. Say that one more time because I'm going to write it down. Oh, now you're going to have to make me remember what I said exactly. Don't Um, don't evaluate. um, Don't evaluate your worth. Yeah. You can't determine on things you can't control. Based on the things you can't control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so So I had to find small wins basically Mm -hmm. on things that I could say, oh, look how far I've come. Look what I did. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. So why politics? I mean, cause I'm sure. So, okay. From the outsider's perspective, I believe like, you know, people, um, <laughs> people are historically divided on issues of policy period. I mean, historically, um, and, and we, have this tendency from the outside to think like, well, you know, if I was in there, then, you know, this is what I would do. This makes sense. This is, you know, and I've always said to people, look, I believe that every person, and I do believe this, although maybe there's like one or two who are actual sociopaths and they never had this intention, (laughs) but I believe that most people go into politics with a legitimate um, concern and desire to serve and to change and impact the world. Like, that's what I believe. And I believe that they get in there and they quickly have to learn new rules of the game that are cutthroat, that compromise the integrity with which they first entered office. So from an insider's perspective, is that an accurate perception? Yeah, I think it can be. I mean, I definitely came into it from a wanting to create a legacy create an impact perspective Mm -hmm. and that this seemed like the most obvious and largest scale that I could do it at. Yeah. And I had, since I was little, always said I was going to be the president. Yes. I love uh, it. Nobody had ever accused me of thinking small (laughs) at the time, but my favorite president is the president that most people don't had never even heard of before, but my favorite okay. president is James K. Polk. Oh, and, okay. Tell us about uh, James K. Polk. So the reason that I love him 
(laughs) It's because (laughs) he actually didn't intend to be president. He was a dark horse candidate. He kind of came out of nowhere. He ran against Henry Clay, who was very well known back then. Um, I mean, Henry Clay's slogan, campaign slogan was literally, who is James K. Polk? Because he was he was nobody. I mean, he was nobody. But, I mean, which if you can imagine. But so the, what I loved about him is he said, "These are the things that I think need to be changed in America," and they were major things. He okay. thought we needed to annex Texas. He wanted us to settle the Forty Ninth Parallel because we had a lot of conflict with um, where our border was in the uh-huh. north. Uh-huh. He wanted us to expand the United States to reach the Pacific Ocean. Okay. He wanted to fix the tariff issues. I mean, they were major, yeah. major issues. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. And people got behind him. They said, this is a major vision. We appreciate it. And he actually accomplished every single one of the things that he sought out to do in four years which is outrageous. Unheard of, right, yeah. I mean, he basically got us the Western half of the United States. Wow. You know, he went through the Mexican-American War. I mean, all sorts of things. But the point is, he finished all of those things in he four did years. He, said. he yeah. did what he said. And then when it came time for re-election, he said, I'm not running for re-election. I've already accomplished the entire vision it's wow. time for somebody else to put their vision to the test. You know, it's oh, wow. my turn's over, pass it on. And nobody is like that in life no. anymore, no. it seems. Nobody you wants know? to pass the torch. No, we want to no. live forever and we want to reign forever. Yeah. And I just thought it was the most noble Very. thing to say, wow, I could easily be reelected. Nobody accomplishes this much right? and this a little bit of time, but he had done what he said and it was time to move on. Wow. And so just growing up, I always wanted to experience those kinds of okay. impacts in life. Yeah. yeah. And when I worked on the Hill, there were really great highs, but there were a lot of little things that you don't, you don't think about like, People pour their soul into legislation mm-hmm. that never leaves committee yeah. or, you know, just <laughs> they have to resubmit right. Congress after Congress. And it can kind of be very um, burdensome just to say, gosh, like, why are we not moving forward? Like, right. what is and, the red tape? And, and why am I even doing this? You know, I had a little taste of that um, disenfranchisement when I, that's, you know, how I, I experienced it. I did, when I was in grad school, I did a rotation in um, a county jail in Brevard County, Florida. And I had all of these ideas because that's, you know, what I do, like ideas to change the world in my own little corner, wherever I find myself to be. And I was working with the juveniles who were charged as adults. And mm-hmm. um, I was just thinking, man, there's so much more we could be doing for them that this does not have to be their life. You know, this does not have to be when they turn 18, they go into general population and there they stay until, you know, 30 years later. Um, and so I remember the uh, sergeant at, at the jail said, okay, go ahead, get all your ideas together, you know, give me a proposal, whatever. So I poured my heart into that, speaking of pouring your heart into something. And I mean, I, I did, it wasn't all just fluff, but I presented it in a very, um, you know, very pristine and thoughtful format from beginning to end of these kinds of ideas that I had that we could implement that cost very little money that would actually lead to rehabilitation and not um, recidivism, um, you know, based on research and some different things that I had done. And the sergeant took one look at it, Katie. He, He like opened it in front of me, didn't even, he just opened it and he's like, yeah. I'm glad you have a heart for that, but that's not how the system works. And I just, I was so deflated. Now I didn't stop, but I just knew that that wasn't a corner that I could change. Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, and that's the problem is that people get discouraged. Yeah. And a lot of people who have great ideas refuse to participate in the process because of all of the obstacles. Right. And so then we lose out on the vision of so many people. Yeah, sure. You know, and um, I was actually at a event locally with one of the Virginia senators had come and someone brought up that specific recidivism issue. And so I'm going to connect you with some somebody oh, who can awesome. give your ideas. Yeah. Well, it's really kind of cool because it's, it, I, I have a passion. Um, let, let me just share really quickly this story. Um, so I love people, Katie, like I see the value in every single person. And when I say every single person, I mean every single person, even those who who society deems deplorable or the worst or whatever. And so I, um, at the time that I was doing that rotation, I would, people would write in, the inmates would write into the mental health department and they would say, I want to see somebody or whatever. And the wait period was quite long. As you can imagine, we had about 1800 inmates and um, they sometimes had to wait a month, two months to see somebody. There were actually five of us on staff, which was huge um, for a county jail. Um, But this one gentleman, I didn't make it out to see him. And I don't know, it was a couple months. And when I went out to his, his unit, his block to see him, I sat down across from him. And um, now I was new. I was so green. You know, I was in grad school. I think it was like my first or second year of grad school. Um, But he I said, okay. I said, so, you know, what's up? What, what, what do you want to talk about today? And he just said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I said, well, it does matter. I said, you wrote in, you wanted to talk. I'm here. You've got my time. Let's talk. And it took some cajoling. And uh, eventually he just broke down crying and he was like, it doesn't matter because I just found out um, that the person that I hit, he had a DUI. He was in for a DUI, which I did not know mm-hmm. because I never allowed myself to look up their infraction prior to going to see them because I didn't want to prejudge or have a characterization in my head. And um, he said, it doesn't matter that I found out that the person that I hit died. And he just, he just cried. And it turns out that this was his, his sixth offense. And I thought, you know, this, yes, it's tragic that he hit somebody and died, but here's this man, like how, how did he get to a sixth offense? <laughs> how yeah. did he, you know, how did he get there? Like this, there has got to be something that we can do because now he's the guy society hates. Sure. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's my story about m- my why. And so eventually I still, uh, when I moved my practice, when I finished grad school, got licensed, moved my practice to Front Royal. And then when the um, RSW regional jail was established, I actually went in and did classes, wellness classes for the inmates for like a year and a half and talked about like all the stuff I talk about on my podcast. It was super cool. Like before yeah. I even had the podcast because they're people and they need to talk about this stuff too, you know? So anyway, um, that's my own little corner of the world trying to change something. But I discovered for myself that policy is not the way to do it. But for you, that was a, it sounds like a huge season and a huge of your life and a huge passion. So um, can you tell us about some of the wins that you said you had, some of the highs that you had, and then can you tell us why you got out of it? Sure. And I mean, honestly, it was, it was an interesting time because I was very young in my twenties through my twenties mm-hmm. is really when I was there. And I realized very quickly that most of your government is run by people in their 20s. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Fascinating. Which is a little strange. For the bulk of my career, I handled appropriations. Okay. So this was back when the federal budget still allowed for direct appropriations. Okay. What we called earmarks. Mm-hmm. And working for a senator, my job was to meet with municipalities and businesses and universities, people who were seeking direct federal funds Mm -hmm. for whatever project they had. Okay. And it could be everything from dredging 
in a local community, a coastal community, to creating a different defense weapon system, all of the appropriations bills. I right. And as a 25-year-old, I'm interviewing these people and prioritizing whether or not I thought that their project should receive the federal funds. Our office was basically said for each wow. for each bill, you get so many millions of dollars to allocate. And it was my job to decide if you got it or not. <laughs> so I was the gatekeeper to say, wow. yes, you can have these millions of dollars. And it was such a strange wow. thing to have these people come to me. And I'm so young. Yeah. And to have the senator trust me to say, yeah, yeah okay. Now, if he had a strong preference about something, you know, then of course he would exercise it. But for the most part, there was no way that he could sift through every right. application sure. and figure out what should be a priority or not right. for our state to receive money. And a lot went into that. But to be be given in your mid twenties, hundreds of millions of dollars to be such authority, for, yeah, you know, and I think that people um, don't realize that 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 sort of thing even happens, you know, right? But at the same time, a lot of people burn out because of hours and mm. just um, a lot of a lot of way that, ways that you live your life. I mean, a lot of people live from um, like dinner to dinner, yeah. different events being thrown. And it was a fun, exciting lifestyle. I mean, I met so many celebrities and yeah, um, got to hear about really cool projects. And I got to travel to the state that we represented often and mm-hmm. see all these cool demonstrations mm-hmm. of think, cutting edge research. There was this one man who was figuring out how to remove the allergen from peanuts. I mean, wow. really cool thing. Yeah. yeah. And to have somebody find value in sharing what they're doing with me mm-hmm. consistently. I mean, it was just, it was such a cool experience. Just like in the loop, like yeah. in the loop at such a critical level. And you know what I love though, about the fact that you're saying that, um, the country is run by people in their 20s. What I love about that is those people, they're not jaded. They're not, they're fresh thinkers. They're, they're, they're limitless thinkers. They're thinkers who, who put, who push the envelope. And like you said, many burn out, but I, I don't mind that. I love that people in their 20s are running things. And there are people from all ages, but at a certain point, I think, um, because your pay scale is not super high yes. in public service, yes, people jump ship to do other things sure. yeah. or lobbying or more profitable things. But also with the time spent, um, for me at least, it came down to when I had kids okay. that the amount of time plus the commute uh, didn't make sense for me to be sure. able to raise my daughter at the time, I, I would really have never seen her. There wasn't a daycare that was open long enough wow. to be there. So I ended up leaving and it was the right decision at the time. I do miss a lot of it. Mm. Um, but I really, what I really missed most was um, the first senator I worked for had this mentality that was so contagious. I just wanted to be around him. Uh I just wanted to be in his space all of the time. And he Mm. taught me so many lessons about how to treat people and how to be open-minded. Yeah. Wow. How he dealt with people from the other party and how many people respected him Yeah, because he wouldn't go into a debate saying, I've already made up my mind. It was Oh. Tell me what you have to say about this, because if there's information I don't have, then I need to know. Sure. And that's, you know what, that translates into our daily lives. You know, as people, as yeah. women, we, we are very, um, very comfortable with knowing what we know and believing what we believe. And I think that keeps us that lie kind of that, 
you know, we've made up our minds. We know what's right. We know what's true. It keeps us from those powerful connections of, I forget how you said it earlier about, but uh, surrounding ourselves with the people in our bubble that can challenge us, that can lift us up, that can make us greater. And those are the people who don't think like us. They're people differently. Yeah. So great. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think the biggest lesson that I took away that I still apply to my life now, I was always told that just because you've done something one way in the past, that's Mm -hmm. not a good rationale for continuing to do it that way in the future. That's right. And so it was, if we're going to do this again, give me a reason that's not, that's what we did last year. Yeah. Tradition does not forge a sure path. Sure. Yeah. And so I feel like I ended up becoming a better parent yeah. from these lessons that then I'm trying to instill into my children Okay. about how to, you know, how to be willing to, you know, speak to everybody and, yeah. be, and be curious. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I, I just really appreciated the time that I had. That's great. So you left at, and it was the decision for you at the time to be able to raise your daughter. And how many kids do you have now? I have two. Two. Okay. How old are they? Seven and four. Oh, so you, it's not been too long that you've no. been out of this. So what's been going on in the meantime? So when I left the Hill, I actually went went full-time in my Mary Kay business because I okay. I had already had that on the side and it was an opportunity for me to still be an achiever. Uh-huh. That was important to me mm-hmm. that I could be a work-from-home mom. Sure. Um, I am super impressed by stay-at-home moms. And I am too. I cannot be one of them. No. <laughs> I, I've realized very quickly that if I did not have an identity – Mm-hmm. based on myself and not mm-hmm. based on who I was in relation to other people right. that I would drown in like I probably would have been depressed if I if I had to solely be be Kennedy's mom or yeah. so, you know like I could that wasn't my personality yeah I well, needed but you know what, Katie I think you hit on something really powerful there because there are so many women who are desperate. I mean, they love their kids. You love your kid. It's not about love. It's not about how much you love your kids. But the truth is that that's a being a mom is a role that you play. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. Right. It is a role that you play. And I think there are so many moms that are desperate for the permission to have an identity other than being somebody's mom. Even if they still choose to be a stay-at-home mom, your identity is not as a mom. That's what you do, but it's not who you are. Yeah. And you can find your identity in so many things. It was just growing up already having the mindset of, I need achievement and outside recognition. That's what I I craved growing up. I mean, I was valedictorian in my college just because I I was trying to figure out a way to get on that, like the stage, you know? (laughs) I love and, your determination. Like, um, but I ended up being four, number four overall. Let, disclaimer. Oh, okay. In my college, but four Just overall. Four. So I still didn't make it based on that. But right. I was a student speaker. So see, I still made it. I was like, okay, I'm right, good. Right. But that's why I found my, I chose to have my identity mm-hmm. locked into my career at the time. Yeah. And it's interesting because now being in my mid thirties, what I realized is that I had sort of set myself up to fail early on in that because I was so focused on achieving and taking the next step Uh that I didn't necessarily take the time to figure out what I really wanted for myself. Okay. That I was willing to sort of check a box and skip ahead. Okay. Um, so that the drive but, for the achievement was was your identity, but maybe you started discovering that that 
that wasn't all fulfilling. Is that what you're saying? Well, in that in order to get the the fulfillment of achievement, mm-hmm. I would sort of take shortcuts to get there. And, oh, understood. Um, and I did a lot of it through personal relationships. So um, I, I alluded that I had, I had at 21, I had a, a very, very powerful resume. Um, I bet. And because at that point I had my internships, I worked for a member of the house. I worked for a congressional subcommittee. I worked for the white house. I worked for a member of par- parliament. I worked for a Senator or I was working for a Senator. I had graduated. I had two degrees. I had three minors. Like I was in wow. every club. It was my thing. I was so excited. Sure. And I was like, okay, let's, let's move to the next thing. Because in college I had this ability to have a lot of wins quickly Okay. You change, you change classes every six months or. Yeah. Right. You go through things quickly. Right. And that need to progress at Mm -hmm. that, quite frankly, unrealistic rate. Yeah. Uh Was what drove me. And so. Mm. And so it's almost like a high that you could never, after that, you could not reach again. And so if I didn't have something major each year, I felt like a failure. Wow. Like like at age 25, I cried at my birthday. Oh my goodness. I was like, how could I be this far? And it was funny because, so, you know, I graduated at 21, 22, I bought a house. At 23, I was engaged. 24, I was married. At 25, I had a master's degree and I cried. I was like, because you weren't achieving at that rate as yeah, you were before. Wow. I was like, how can I be so far behind? Oh my goodness. What a which lie. Is, which is so ridiculous, right? It's such a lie, but so many of us believe it. Yeah. And I didn't realize, you know, that, that that's what I was doing to myself. Yeah. Now, thankfully, by the time I 30 rolled around, I was totally fine. Okay. But I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Remember, um, you know, but then in the last five years, I've like, I went through a divorce and, and it was this totally the right decision. But what I realized is that because I was so focused on all of these boxes to check Uh that I hadn't really considered what I truly wanted and where I was right. Right. And so I sort of was making choices based on what would look the best to other people. Okay. And wow. But that out that external uh, recognition that you were talking mm-hmm. about. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it because you know, our marriage was such a good story. We had known each other since you know, we were I was 9 mm. and um Oh wow. The Washington Post did two stories on our marriage. Like like it was so much for outward appearances. Yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that I wasn't ever happy, but I came to realize that it was that I was staying mm-hmm. because of how it looked. Oh. And not because of how I felt. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And I was being very inauthentic. Mm. And how did you have that discovery, Katie? You know, somebody actually asked me one day if I was happy. Yeah. And I said, I'm not unhappy. Wow. And they're like, that's not the same thing. Uh-uh. But to me, it was the same thing because it gave me the ability to stay on track. Yeah. And so it was a conscious choice to stay in my marriage because of this was, this was like the boxes had already been checked. I can't go back. Okay. Okay. But when you're not happy, yeah, right. Then a lot of things, a lot of things bother you. Yeah. And things build up over time. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I realized that because of my need 
to put on this perfect persona Mm -hmm. to the world. I also wasn't sharing what was going on. Mm -hmm. And so except for, you know, a few people who were very close to me, Mm -hmm. who had sort of seen like, seen fights and, you know, that sort of thing. For the most part, it came as a total shock to everybody that I was going to get divorced. Mm. Family. Because nobody knew what was happening in your internal like, world. Like my family had no idea, you know, it, wow. it was, it was so dramatic that my family thought I was having a midlife crisis. Mm. Wow. And going to, I went to a counselor mm-hmm. to basically figure out what's going on and yeah, and all of that. And she said to me, you're not having a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. You've just realized that you're being inauthentic, mm-hmm. that you've continued to do so, and you're unwilling to continue in that path. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, it's a shock because I didn't... Sh- I wasn't open about right. it. Um, and she's like, but at the same time, how long do you want to keep this going? Yeah. You know, if you know in your heart that it's not right, mm-hmm. then at some point you're going to call it quits. Yeah. Right. And she was like, so how long do you want to keep going through this before, you know, before you really right. can move on? And try and be happy. And what made me realize that it was for sure time is that one of my best friends, her parents had just gotten divorced, you know, when she was in her, she was an adult. So they okay. had waited until their kids were adults <laughs> right. and then said, okay, just kidding. Like we're getting divorced. Right. It's been a long time coming. We've just been waiting for you to be an adult. There are so many people that do that. Yeah. And my children are young, as I said. And I was just like, I don't want my daughter to have to grow up thinking that she should put her happiness on hold because of how it might impact other people. Well, and how it might look. Let me let me ask you a question, Katie. So you have this, um, really, it's not a midlife crisis. It's a, a crisis of conscience, of identity, of coming face-to-face with who you are and then having to live that out in your life. Yeah. And so going from a long history, basically a, a fabric of your being of um, – checking off the boxes for that external recognition. And then you go and you, you start this process of, you know, divorce and whatever. And it comes as a shock to everybody. And then you're not, you're not getting external recognition. You're getting external criticism. Yeah. So what was that shift like for you? Well, you know, I initially had the external criticism from really people who should have been closest to me Mm. um, with family and some close friends. And because of it, I hid what was happening from others. Yeah. So the closest people knew what was happening. And then, you know, the people who were more acquaintances, I didn't share. Yeah. And finally, one day I just sort of broke down and I, like I couldn't keep hiding yeah. what was happening, mm-hmm. especially because I do run these two women's groups. I'm in front of, you know, a hundred women yeah. over the course of the month, every month. And, and you I, wanted to be authentic. And, you know, and I, yeah, and people can tell when something's yeah. going on. Yeah. And I remember saying in front of not everybody, but like a handful of people, this is what's happening to me right now. Mm-hmm. And I was almost embarrassed mm-hmm. not knowing how that would go. Yeah. But at, by the end of the day, two people came up to me who we weren't really close by any means. And they're like, 
oh my God, I am going through something similar. Mm. Can we talk about this? Wow. And mm. every time I shared, more people opened up. Yes. Yes. And it was it was sort of this whole awakening to realize that because I wasn't being authentic before, mm-hmm. people didn't feel like they could connect to me. Mm-hmm. Because people cannot connect to perfection. They it doesn't yeah. exist and they recognize that it's fake. But yeah, so they well, might not know we what all strive it is. for it. We strive right. for it because I bet you, I guarantee you, Katie, there were people looking at you like, man, she has got it all together. What is wrong with me? But your your story and your experience, not just your story, but your life and your experience and what you're sharing is the prime example that none of us, <laughs> none of us have it together, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so just people really identified with what was happening mm-hmm. and yeah. it made me feel more connected. And I actually developed stronger, deeper relationships with people than I really had in the past. I mean, wow you know, the people that I had said were my very best friends, I realized I had very surface level relationships with. Mm -hmm. We just happened to have had them for very long time. Yeah. A very long time. And so it really made me recognize that a lot of the way I was living was that surface level. Yeah. Experience. And so now I feel like being true to who you are, Mm -hmm unapologetically, I mean, you can, you don't have to be in people's faces about it, but to, you know, to basically say, this is how I'm going to live my life because I know it's right for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be concerned about whether or not you approve of it because I've already determined that this is what's best for me and for my children. Right. You know, it's very freeing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, I, there's so, man, there's so many truths that you just shared in that. But the one that struck me is that when you are as a, as a woman in particular, because so many of us strive for this unachievable, unrealistic perfection that just doesn't exist on, on many different levels, you know, physical family relationship, parenting, professional, whatever. Um, but that when we have those experiences, when we have encounters with ourselves, um, and we have this crisis of conscience, so to speak, and when we start to share that, it breeds not just authenticity in ourselves, but authenticity in other people. Like you said, people come up to you and go, you know, me too. Thank you so much for saying that. It gives people, it just opens the door to, for people to stop hiding. Right. Yeah. So it gives thank me permission you. to be real. Yeah. Absolutely. So what are you doing these days, Katie? What's on the horizon for you? Um, so many things. So many things. Yeah. I found the love of my life. Very mm. happy. Wow. About it. Um, and it's it's refreshing to be able to say that I'm happy and not not not, not unhappy. unhappy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and you know I'm trying to get back into public service. So, okay. Um. Really, it's been kind of a a whirlwind the last couple of years, kind of going through all of this. But I feel a lot more at peace yeah. with it. And I think that ultimately I can serve as a better leader. Yeah. For having sure. Having been through it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So you are the, you know, master of connection, not just because you're being vulnerable with people, but because that's that's been in your heart to have the legacy and the impact, particularly with women. So how can the women listening connect with you? How do you want them to connect with you? Well, they can connect with me personally. I'm on Facebook or Instagram. Okay. 
and Katie Landy Jordan. Okay. Jordan is a common last name. Yeah. Um, and on Instagram, I'm KLandyJ. Okay. I thought it sounded kind of like a rapper's name, even yeah, though it, I'm the most it does. preppy <laughs> non-rapper <laughs> there is. Um, but also, you know, I think that all women need a community of others to yeah. uplift them. And I love Polka Dot Powerhouse. So yeah. it is an international women's organization. So you can go to polkadotpowerhouse.com and find a chapter near you. There's okay. also an international community through there for people who don't have a chapter okay. locally to them that they can still connect. So we, so even abroad, because we do have listeners abroad. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. They do have members from, from all over Mm -hmm. the world who may not have a chapter near them yet. Great. Perfect. Yes. Friends reach out to Katie. Isn't she wonderful? You are wonderful. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. Yeah. And so, Hey, leave us with one more thing. If you don't mind, I ask every guest to leave the women listening with one truth that you want them to remember when this show ends today. I think that what's most important in life is that you're true to who you know you are Mm -hmm. without worry that you will be judged for it. Um, Yeah. Life is, they say that life is short, but you, you know, it's actually kind of long. You, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta go through it for, for a long time and it's, and it can feel um, really lonely if you're not being true to who you are. Yes. Love it. Thank you. Hey friends, wasn't Katie fantastic? Oh my goodness. I just love her heart. I love her vulnerability and honesty and bravery. Hey, listen, y'all, this is why I, started this podcast so that we as women can have honest and frank conversations with ourselves between one another to encourage one another that you're not alone. I love what Katie said. People don't connect with perfection. Y'all, sisters, none of us have it together. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever achieve all of the things that we want to achieve. None of us, even if we check off all the boxes like Katie did, will be exceedingly happy. That's just not how it works. It really is all about discovering you, being your authentic self, and in the process, giving other women permission to do the same. So take it from Katie Jordan, our preppy non-rapper friend. So take it from Katie Jordan, our preppy non-rapper friend. All women need community. That includes me and you, sisters. Hey, listen, thanks for tuning in today. If you are an Apple Podcast user, will you please hit the subscribe button and scroll to the section where it says rating and reviews and just click five stars for me, why don't you, if this message has impacted you today and share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in and remember as you go about your week to speak truth over the lies in your mind so that you can thrive in any and every circumstance.